Are y'all enjoying the book of Ephesians as much as I am? That's a different question there. In our scripture memorization, we have gotten through the second chapter of Ephesians, and I hope you're memorizing along with us, even if you're not memorizing all of the book of Ephesians. I hope you're memorizing some verses here and there that, that you can pull out and you can hold on to when you need those. Uh, we are today in Ephesians chapter 2. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn there. We are going to be behind in our verse-by-verse walkthrough here on Sunday mornings, uh, behind where we are in our, uh, in our verse memorization, but that's all right. We're going to keep trudging along here. One of the things that we found out last week is that before salvation, we were children of wrath. That's what the book of Ephesians calls us. That means that God's wrath is righteously and justly poured out on us because of our sin nature. And there's no amount that we, there's no amount of good that we could ever do to earn God's favor. Um, there's no education that you can get. There's no working in the church that, that earns you God's favor. There's no amount of money that you can pour into giving to the poor. Um, there is nothing that will make God accept us as pure and holy before him except for one thing. And I'll get to that one thing here in just a moment. You know, if you think about it, humanity as a whole is in a constant state of trying to better itself. But it's failing miserably. And if you don't believe me, just, just look around you. We've got more technology right now. We've got more knowledge right now than there has been at any other point in all of history. But yet we are just as depraved and just as wicked right now as we've been at any other point in history. And in these first three verses of, of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul outlines the gross reality of our sin-cursed life. And it's really hard for us to hear these words. And, and even last week after talking through that message, I'm like, man, that's kind of depressing. Because we don't like to hear about how bad we really are and how depraved we are upon our birth. But we've got to understand the depth of our sin and, and the seriousness of that situation before we can ever truly appreciate what we get to here in verse 4 today. We were born into depravity and there's no way out except for two little words, okay? Two words that have three letters each, but God. But God. Now, those are two words that give us a wealth of, of promise, of great promise. Yes, we are children of wrath who deserve God's wrath. Yes, we are dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. But God. Folks, there is nothing in this life that's more important than this that we're talking about today. This is God reaching down into the sin of this world, and he does something about our spiritual death. Now, we've been immersing ourselves already this morning in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to do it once again by reading verses 4 through 7. So I want to invite you to read along with me in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about salvation and very specifically six aspects of salvation. This morning, we're going to get to four of those aspects. We're going to talk about how salvation is from sin, by love, into life, and with purpose. All right? So if you're taking notes, those are things that you want to write down as we work through this passage of Scripture. From sin, by love, into life, and with purpose. 
So let's talk very, very, very uh, first here about um, the, the idea of salvation being from sin. We are saved from sin. Um, we are saved from our, our past of sin. Verse 1 in Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that before we were saved, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We followed the course of this world. We followed Satan. We, we carried out whatever his will was in the world. We pursued what we wanted, our lust, our desires, rather than what was right and what was holy. We were by nature children of wrath, and we were, all, we were not alone in that. It was all of mankind that was all children of wrath. We needed salvation from our sin desperately. There's a strong chance that we didn't even know that's what we needed at the time. But there's come a point for every single individual who has accepted Jesus as their Savior where they realized that they were born a sinner and they were cast off from God because of that sin. And they realized what needed to happen in order for them to have a relationship with God. And y'all listen, there is nobody that we can blame for our sin. Um, it's, it's our fault and it's ours alone. I think about the teenager who does something stupid and he does something sinful. He says, I did it because I was with the wrong crowd. Y'all, that's not true. He did it because he is the wrong crowd. That's every single one of us. We are the wrong crowd. The problem is not them. The problem is us. Now, we don't want the blame to fall on us because we don't want a spotlight shining right on our sin, pointing it out for everybody to see. But the reality is the same. We're all sinners, and we're all in that position of being cast off from God. And, and, and if oftentimes we try to blame other people, right? And that's kind, of, that's kind of a game that's been going on ever since the Garden of Eden. You think about Adam. He blamed Eve for his sin. He told God, he said, God, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me of the fruit, and I ate. And then Eve goes on to blame the serpent, right? We're always blaming somebody else for our sin. But one of the reasons that we need to be safe from our sin is because if we're not safe from that sin, then we continue in the very same cycle that, get, that never, ever gets to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is us. And until we get to the point where we realize, hey, the problem is me, then we're going to stay in that cycle. Another reason that we need to be saved from our sin is because where there is sin, there is no relationship with God. And where there's no relationship with God, there is no hope for the future, and there's no purpose in the present. Without Jesus, then the best that we could ever hope for is what exists in this temporary world right now. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, that's a depressing thought. To think that this is all we've got to hope for. But you see, with no relationship with God, there is no true purpose in our lives except to enjoy what we've got right now. As bad as it may seem, or as good as it may seem. But y'all, we know without a doubt that there is something that is greater, that is waiting for us, a future, a hope coming one day. Now, we gather collectively as a church, and we worship collectively as a church, and, and today we're sitting here, and we know that there is a God-given, eternity-altering promise that comes from God for whoever calls on the name of the Lord that they will be saved. And that promised salvation doesn't come in the middle of our goodness. It doesn't come in the middle of our perfection. It comes in the middle of our sinfulness and our wickedness. It comes right in the middle of our deadness. That salvation comes in the form of, but God, being rich in mercy. Now, that, that idea of rich in mercy, I love that. Mercy just very simply means that you, you're not giving someone something that they deserve, okay? So a child deserves punishment, but you choose not to give it to them. That is mercy. 
All right, we deserve God's wrath, but God chooses to not give it to us. That is mercy. And it says here that God is rich in mercy. If you look at the word rich in the Greek, here's what it means, okay? It means overabounding, overabounding. God is overabounding in mercy. That means that if I was holding a glass in this hand and I had a whole pitcher of water in this other hand and I started filling up that glass with the pitcher of water, there was going to come a point where it fills up, right? But what if I never stop pouring the water? It continues to flow out of the, the big vessel into the small vessel and it begins to overflow. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about here. God's mercy is rich. It is overabounding. It is overflowing. That's what we've got to look to. God, you were awesome because of this. That's the, that's the idea of the mercy that God offers. He pours it out in ways that cannot even be contained. We deserve damnation and his wrath. Instead, he holds that back. We deserve eternal separation from him, but he offers a relationship with him. We deserve death, and he offers life. And when we continue reading here, we find the next aspect of salvation is by love. So salvation is not only from sin, but it is by love. I would spend a lot more time talking about that idea of from sin, but we did that last week. And if you missed that sermon last week, go back and watch it so you can understand truly the, 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 the depth of our sin. All right? But secondly here, salvation is by love. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, why? Because of the great love with which he loved us. This is the motivation behind why God saves us. It's his love. Salvation is based on love. And God doesn't look down and say, hey, I love that person, um, but I don't love that person. Or he doesn't look down and say, you know what, I, I, I like that person, I don't like that person. No, his, his love is infinite. His love is unlimited. God doesn't love one person more than he loves another person. I've had people that I've been counseling before who have had bad things happen to them in life, and the question they ask is, why doesn't God love me? Because oftentimes when something bad happens in our lives, that's the first response we have is, God must not love me because he allowed this bad thing to happen. And my response back to that person is that it's not a question about whether God loves you or not. The reality is that God loves you. And if you want to know how much God loves you, then you can turn to God's word and you can see how much God loves you. I think about 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, where we read these words. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, in this, the word of God, the love, excuse me, the love of God was seen, that God sent his only son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Isaiah 54, verse 10. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. In other words, chaos may ensue on this earth. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See, look, look at what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. See, I don't see the, I don't see the love of God around me. All I see is bad things around me. Folks, if nothing else, you can see the love of God in the way that he sent Jesus to this earth to die on our behalf. 
to die the death that we deserve to die. And then you also see the love of God in the way that he forgives us of our sin. I want you to imagine with me that that you were driving through your neighborhood and there was a child playing out in the street. You're in a hurry and you're speeding. You never see the child until it's too late. And tragically, the child dies from his injuries. There's a good chance that you're going to face charges from the governments for manslaughter because of your negligence and because of your speeding. If you're found guilty, then you're going to have a penalty that has to be paid. And then once you've served your time or once you've paid whatever penalty it was that the judge handed to you, then you would be free. Your debt to society is absolutely paid. The government doesn't have to worry about you anymore because they've moved on, because you don't owe them anything, and, and their job has been completed in the whole matter. Your sin against the law has been paid for. But redemption, get this, redemption has only taken place to the extent that your penalty has now been taken care of. What about that child's mother? What about that child's father? That's another story, isn't it? Could I, if I did that, ever make up to her for the loss of that little life by paying a fine or by serving a sentence? No, I couldn't. You see, there's only one way that I could ever have a relationship with that mother. I have sinned against her love. I've not sinned against her law. I've sinned against her love. There's only one way that I could ever have a relationship with her, and that would be if she offered me unconditional and free forgiveness. That's the only way that I could have a relationship with her. But y'all, that's exactly what God has done. We've not only sinned against his law. Listen, we have done that, okay? But we have also sinned against his love. We have killed his son. We've sinned against his love. And yet God reaches out and he says, I know you did that, but I offer you unconditional and complete forgiveness. And it's in that way that God in his great love not only sees his law satisfied, but he sees his love satisfied. So I go back to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10 where we read this. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atonement for our sins. Folks, salvation is from sin, but it's by love, by the love of God. But then we also see that salvation is into life, right? It's into life, from sin, by love, into life. I'm going to start reading in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. All right? You see the difference there? Dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. One of the themes that we see in verses 4 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 2 is the idea of together. All right? Together. Verses 1 through 3, we were separated from God. Verses 4 through 10, we are now together with God through Jesus. We are transferred from death into new life through Jesus. I think about a song that we've sung here in the past at at Salem. Death was arrested. I was alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope, no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began. 
And there's those words there, death was arrested, but it's even deeper than that. Death was defeated. It wasn't just arrested. Death was defeated, and my life began. I love those words because they communicate the way that God has brought us. He has, he has brought us into new life from who we were, cast off from him, now into new life where we are together with him. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Salvation is the means by which God gives mankind new life. When we are saved, the old life is gone, the new life has come. And Peter says in that verse that because of that, we can proclaim the greatness of our God who gave us this new life. And that brings me to this last point. Salvation is with purpose. It's not only from sin, in love, into life, but it is also with purpose. This is not just all something that God dreamed up and thought, hey, I think I'll do this with no purpose. That's not how God operates at all. Everything he does has purpose. Everything he does has meaning to it. The primary reason that you were saved, I want you to hear this, okay? The primary reason that you were saved was not to keep you out of hell. You were saved so that God could shower his grace and his blessing and his riches on you. That's why you were saved. And then so that he could be glorified in all of it. In verses 6 and 7, that's what we find here. It's talking about God. It says, and God raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. If you look at these verses, you see two actions that take place here, okay? Two actions on the, on the part of God. The first is that at salvation, God raised the believer up with Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Right there we find our spiritual resurrection compared with Jesus' physical resurrection. Just like Jesus is raised from the dead physically, we are raised from the dead spiritually. When a person is baptized here in our church, um, they are identifying with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. When we dump a person under the water, we say buried in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. Right, raised to walk in newness of life. There's a transfer from one position to another that's taken place with salvation. And that baptism is just the, the, the picture of what has taken place. The actual transfer takes place at salvation. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is a part of this, this transfer to new life includes a place at the table in the presence of God. Where Jesus is seated right now in heaven, we have a place right there as followers of Jesus. But then we see a second action that comes in these verses, and that is that God shows the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That means that one of God's purposes in saving us is to show off his goodness show off his greatness, show off his grace toward us, to show off his kindness. Look at this. Look at what God has done. There is no person, there is no thing in this world that can compare with God. 
His character, his nature are deserving of being shown off. One of the ways that he shows us that greatness is through saving anyone, anyone who would come to him. Now next week we're going to finish off this passage that talks about salvation. And for this morning though, I want to to close us out here with just two action steps. And really this applies to to whether you are are a believer, so you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, or or you're not, and you haven't made that decision to, to follow Jesus. Two action steps that you could be thinking about, okay? The first one is this. Realize that love this amazing demands my all. So every bit of who I am, he's worth it. And the love that he's shown me demands that I give everything. I think about the song that says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The love of God that created us, that saw us in our state of sin, that sent Jesus to this earth, then to the cross, then to the grave, and ultimately back to heaven. That love is a great love that deserves no less than all of who we are. Why ride the fence? Why say you're a believer then live in a completely different way? Why would we do that? When we see the depth and the, the, the length that our God would go to in his love to redeem us, If you're here today and you have never given Jesus everything, say, Jesus, I am yours. You do what you want with me. Then can I tell you that today could be the day that you do that? He demands our all because of his great love. He deserves it. He's worthy of it. I think about the fact that he's already taken a giant leap toward us. And now he's waiting for us to take a small step towards him. Secondly, action step here. Never forget but God. Never forget but God. James Montgomery Boise once said, if you understand those two words, but God, they will save your soul. But then he continues, he says, if you recall them daily and live by them, they will transform your life completely. I've said before, the gospel is not just the diving board, it's the pool. It's not just for saving us, it's also for sustaining us. And I need often that reminder that I've rece- of, the, of the salvation that I've received. I have to preach the gospel to myself daily because I forget it. And one of the ways that I do that is just by taking this passage of Scripture and I'll say it something like this. Kivit, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. And, and you weren't alone in that. Everybody was living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Kivit, by nature, you're a child of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Oh, man, but Kivit. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved you, me, even when I was dead in my trespasses, he made me alive together with Christ, and by grace I've been saved. He's raised me up with him and seated me with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards me in Christ Jesus. For by grace I have been saved through faith. This is not my own doing. This is the gift of God. 
It's not a result of work, so give it. You sure can't boast. For I am his workmanship. I am created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That's how I preach the gospel to myself. And I don't do that daily, but periodically I do. I remind myself of, but God. Story is told of Queen Victoria. She was on a tour of a paper mill. And she didn't want to draw attention to herself, so she went incognito. The guide led the group from one room to the next until they came to a large room and it's just filled with garbage everywhere. Garbage. There's workers and they're sifting through the garbage, the boxes, the cans, and all sorts of trash and refuse from the streets. The workers were holding little bags and they're pulling out garbage rags, filthy, filthy rags. And out of curiosity, the queen asked, she says, what are they doing? The tour guide said, from those rags, we make the finest paper in the realm. Then they went on. When the tour guide found out that it was the queen herself that asked that question, he went and got a box of the fine, fine paper and sent it to her with a little note to take it to the light of the window. So she opened it up and took one of those fine linen-like pieces of paper. She walked over and she held it up to the window. And through the light of the sun, she could see the impress of her own image, the image of the queen. Folks, that's precisely what God has done. He has gone out into the garbage, the refuse, the trash of the world. He has pulled us out, these filthy rags out. And out of these filthy rags, he is creating something that is nothing short of a miracle. God's plan for mankind God's plan for you is that you allow him to take you in your sin-cursed state and redeem you and give you new life. There is nothing like it in all this world. There's nothing in the world like being together with God. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? This morning, if there's anyone here. And you say, I have never accepted Jesus as my Savior. But I want to invite you to, you can do one of two things. You can come right up here to the front, and I'll be sitting right up here near the front, and you can come and you can pray with me. You can pray by yourself. Or if you're not comfortable coming to the front, but you want to talk to somebody, then make your way towards the back. And Pastor Rick is standing at the back right now. And he'll either talk with you or connect you with someone who can talk with you about what it means to give your all to Jesus. Our Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you for the vivid imagery that shows us we were dead, but God made us alive together with Christ, and by grace we have been saved. Father, we love you, but we only love you because you first loved us. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place. And it's in his holy and precious name I pray. Amen.